0: What
1: draws hunters into the woods? Tradition? Camaraderie? <laughs> excuse to drink? The thirst for that legendary kill? What if they were to find more than they ever expected and something of palpable evil? How would that change a group of friends? We find out today in The Agony Chamber, just after this.
2: are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes, like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more.
3: ancestor by number one new york times best-selling novelist scott sigler is available for free on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts
1: hi there i'm your host fred greenhalge here with undertow realms podcast of the dark currents that bring you under the surface and into the weird and the wicked Today we have a standalone tale from the mind of Morgan Sylvia. Morgan is a metalhead, Aquarius, beer snob, coffee addict, and a work in progress. The story is read for you by Nathan Dana Aldrich, a native Mainer currently calling Los Angeles home. He's a professional actor and a slinger of a mean drink. In addition to his dozens of television and stage credits, you may recognize his voice as he played Marty Ducharme in Simpson Falls, the series we just heard. This is a very twisted, hallucinogenically evil story, so you know, bear that on mind. If you are in an altered state, it's probably not a good show for you, but it's kind of just what you'd expect here on Undertow, so let's enter it together. Here we go into the Agony Chamber.
0: Agony Chamber, by Morgan Sylvia, read by Nathan Dana Aldridge. We never knew what that place was until it was too late. The day started out innocently enough. It was a clear autumn morning in Maine, and the five of us were setting out on a hunting trip, one of dozens, perhaps hundreds, of such outings we had made together over the years since high school. It was an annual tradition, one that had lasted through college, various jobs and relationships, marriages, moves, the births of several children, several funerals, and more cars than I could even begin to count. There weren't many things I could rely on in my life my knee giving out regularly, my wife complaining, my kids giving me gray hairs, my dog doing dumb shit, lobsters at the coast in summer, Thanksgiving turkey with the in laws and autumn hunting with the guys. That was about it. I suppose it was enough because I always look forward to October. It was a perfect day. Fall had painted the woods yellow, red, and amber. The leaves were at their peak, and the forest around us bore the colors of fire and blood. It was just chilly enough for jackets, but winter's bite was still a few weeks off. Jason and Danny were walking slightly ahead of Tim, Toby, and I. We were planning to split up to reduce the noise and increase our chances of getting deer. Toby had also finally won the lottery for a moose hunting permit and was scouting possible locations to return to when the season opened. He'd spend most of the morning talking about moose burger recipes and hunting tactics, which only served to remind me that I had, as always, lost the lottery. I remember... Talking about my tomato crop and my disappointment in the meager offerings my garden had presented that summer, years ago, conversations would have been about girls, cars, and video games. Guess we'd all grown up. I was watching the ground to avoid tripping over roots or rocks, but I glanced up just in time to see Danny vanish. One minute, he was walking along over a rust-colored carpet of leaves and Then there was a sharp crack and he was just gone. The earth had swallowed him whole. There was a black hole in the ground ahead of us. We all stopped in our tracks. What the fuck? Jason muttered. Toby breathed a curse. Holy shit. We were never particularly an eloquent bunch. Jason headed toward the spot where Danny had gone into the ground. Tim stopped him by grabbing his backpack. Hold up. You want the same thing to happen to you? A low moan rose from the night-black depths of the hole. The sun was high and golden in a pale blue sky, the woods bright with daylight. But that pit was black as coal. It was as though it caught the sunlight and sucked it into some whirling black abyss. Jason shouted at the top of his lungs, Danny! We heard a groan. Toby grabbed a long, sturdy-looking stick. Stay behind me! he said. He pushed the stick into the ground before him to determine if it was solid before moving forward. He approached the hole in that manner, the rest of us following single file. My skin prickled into goosebumps as we approached the breach. Part of my fear was physical. I half expected the ground to open up beneath me and swallow me too. The ground being solid, well, that was one thing I had never questioned. Suddenly I felt as though the very earth was just a thin blanket over a bottomless pitch-black abyss. But there was more to it than that. There was a strangeness to that place that set my nerves on edge. A sense that something was wrong. Toby reached the hole and tested the area around it. Solid rock, he said. Looks like, I don't know, an old well or something. He knelt at the edge and peered down into the hole. One by one, we joined him, staring down into the blackness. Danny hadn't fallen far, I guess no more than a single story. He was lying on solid rock in a perfect circle of golden sunlight that was a stark contrast to the shadows around him. Around him, I could see the remains of what had been a wooden cover to the hole. He'd stepped on a rotted board and gone straight through. Danny! Toby yelled down into the shadows. Danny, you okay? Danny moved and groaned again, then let out a string of curses. I hurt my ankle. Anything else hurt? Just my leg, I think. How many fingers am I holding up? Toby called down. Danny wasn't amused. Fuck you! He's not hurt bad, other than the ankle, Jason said. At least I don't see any blood. I grew painfully aware of a sense of wrongness about the place. The air felt heavy, oppressive, as though it were alive. I looked around, scanning the woods, noting that the trees in the immediate vicinity grew gnarled and twisted, and the vast majority of them were dead. Two of the trees nearby were particularly strange. One had branches growing along the sides of the trunk evenly spaced in a manner that made it look like an insect. The other had snapped, but the massive trunk that remained bore a faint resemblance to a stoic face. My skin prickled into goose flesh. I shuddered. Down in the pit, Danny looked around. Wow, guys, this place is crazy. What is it, I asked. Danny shook his head. I don't know, some kind of chamber? Do you see any stairs or exits? Jason yelled. I can't see shit, Danny snapped. Throw me a flashlight. He hesitated and started patting his pockets. A moment later, he pulled out his phone. Wait, never mind. I have a flashlight app. Guys, Jason pointed at the curved wall of the shaft. Look, every inch of the curved shaft had carvings on it. To call them Markings Runes would be an understatement. The text included pictures, shapes, and strange dots. The script lined the shaft in perfect rings. It wasn't in English or French. A panic shout came from below. This place is wicked fucking creepy. Get me out of here. Danny groaned again. Get me out now. Jason pulled out his phone. I'm calling rescue. He tried dialing and then frowned. We're sorry, all circuits are better. We're in a dead zone. None of us had any better luck. Let's see if we can get him out, Tim stood up. I've got all my camping gear and snowshoes in the SUV. I think we can rig a gurney type thing. After a short debate, Tim and Toby went back to the SUV. This left Jason and I staring down into the hole. Get me out of here, Danny called. I could hear the fear in his voice. I think I heard something. Probably just a bear, Jason joked. The tension in his voice made the humor fall flat. The place had a heavy air to it. The longer we stayed, the more palpable it became. Tension was rising both above and below the surface. I felt as though I was being watched by a hundred eyes. My hair stood on end and my skin crawled. Jason was sweating bullets and I could tell by his face that he felt uneasy too. I just knew that I was suddenly more than ready to be out of the woods, enjoying a local craft beer and lobster roll at some local bar. Danny was really getting agitated by this point. Get me the fuck out of here. He tried to move and jarred his leg. Apparently that didn't feel too good because he let out a shriek, screw this, I wanna get out of here, I wanna go home. And then he was gone. He didn't walk or crawl away. He just vanished. Jason and I exchanged looks, and I saw the fear in his eyes. He looked away from me, staring down into the hole. Danny? No answer. There wasn't a sound in the forest. A thick, impenetrable stillness clung to the little glade. Jason and I screamed down into the hole calling for Danny over and over again. We called his name. Nothing. The earth swallowed our voices. There was only silence below. The sounds of rustling leaves and branches cracking underfoot announced Tim and Toby's approach as they returned, carrying ropes and snowshoes. Tim reached us first. What happened? Damned if I know. Jason shook his head. Danny's gone. He just vanished. Toby frowned. What do you mean, vanished? Tim leaned over to look back down into the hole. He's gone. I I can see the spot where he hit the ground. Yeah, it's pitch black right next to it, Toby said. Somebody's got to go down there. Maybe he fell further in and lost consciousness. They all looked at me. I was the skinniest and the only one with rock climbing experience. I won't bother with a word-for-word recap of the conversation, save to say that it ended with Tim tying one end of the rope around me and the other around a tree. They all grabbed the rope to support me as I climbed over the edge and descended into the darkness. The air hung thick with malevolence. I felt a heavy a sense of rage and pain so palpable that I could almost taste it. When I finally reached the bottom and my feet touched earth, I kept a tight grip on the rope, my only connection to the world above. As my eyes adjusted to the gloom, I made out pale shapes in the blackness within. First, I thought they were people, and my heart hammered in my chest. Then I realized the figures were statues. Thirteen statues stood along the chamber's curving walls, placed in evenly spaced intervals. I'm no odd expert, but I could tell they were the work of a master carver. And a madman. The sight of them made my skin crawl. The beings depicted in stone before me were not human. They had never been human. They owned a terrible beauty that belonged to dream and nightmare, but had no place in the world above. Tim yelled down at me. You see, Danny? My throat was dry. I swallowed. No! The word came out in a croak, which echoed eerily off the stone walls of the chamber. I shunned my flashlight around the chamber. He's not here! What do you see? Toby yelled down to me. Any tunnels? My spine tingled, as though some unearthly being was standing behind me. No, there's no passageways or anything, just one round room. Guys, this place is really fucking weird. At the far side, I saw something that resembled a table. I took a few steps closer and then stopped, unable to process what I was seeing. An altar, intricately carved with strange glyphs that I found at once both attractive and repelling. Dark splotches stained the sides and top of the thing, piled around and behind it were stacks of what I thought at first were branches. Then I realized they were bones. The faces of the dead stared out of a pallid tangle of limbs, thighs and arms and fingers all lay piled atop one another. I wanted nothing more than to get out of that place, but I was worried about Danny, so I inspected the room looking for passages or doors that I may have missed. I don't know how long I stayed down there, encased in darkness. It felt like an eternity. On a whim, I pulled out my phone. I had no service, but the camera worked just fine. I took photo after photo, video too. The statues watched in silence. Every moment I spent down there, I grew more uneasy. The air felt thick, livid, almost electric with power. After a few minutes, My phone shorted and died. I couldn't stand it anymore and called up for my friends to pull me out. It seemed to take forever for them to haul me back up, though it couldn't have been more than a few minutes. I still remember the moment as I rose out of the pit. I felt as though something demonic is right below me, about to grab my ankles and yank me back down into that foul hole.
1: Do you ever wonder who's looking over your shoulder when you're exploring the web? Do you want to keep tracking cookies, curious websites, and your internet service provider from sniffing out too much about your browsing activity? What about gaining the ability to virtually travel to different parts of the world and reshape your internet experience? Well, enter NordVPN. NordVPN protects your internet privacy and lets you go borderless. You can experience sporting events and entertainment that aren't available in your region. When you're on the go, NordVPN protects your data while accessing public Wi-Fi, and in tandem with the Nord Threat Protection Service, protects you from malicious downloads, viruses, and phishing sites. Best of all, this protection is laser-fast, so avoid buffering and lagging while streaming or gaming, and stop your ISP from bandwidth throttling. If you've never used a VPN before, you may be surprised how much your internet experience is shaped by what country of origin you're believed to be from. I've actually had quite a bit of fun using NordVPN as a learning tool with my kids. We change around our virtual location, go to different countries, revisit familiar websites from a new country of origin and see how things are different. For the cost of a cup of coffee a month, your NordVPN account can be used on up to six devices. So I wait? Get the best discount off your NordVPN plan by going to nordvpn.com slash undertow. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. And there's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com slash undertow. Hi there. If you're a fan of Undertow, I know you love immersive entertainment. And let's be real, as much as we all love podcasts, nothing is quite the same as going out to see a movie in the theater. The experience of being with friends, getting your popcorn, and the sheer impact of the visual and sound experience exactly as the filmmakers intended. If you crave that experience, then Regal Unlimited just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. See any 2D movie anytime with no blackout dates or restrictions. And when you want to watch a movie in a premium format like 40X, IMAX, RPX, or ScreenX, your Regal Unlimited Membership gets you into those premium experiences at reduced cost. And you'll save not just on tickets, you save on snacks with 10% off all non-alcoholic concession items. So, if you're planning to see just two movies this month, you need to join Regal Unlimited. Sign up now in the Regal app or on rigmovies.com. That's R-E-G-movies.com slash unlimited. Rigmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code UNDERTOW24 and earn 10% off a three-month subscription. Regal Unlimited, the all-you-can-watch movie subscription, pays yourself in just two visits. Sign up now. Code UNDERTOW24.
2: Are you ready to shop?
0: A feeling of relief washed over me when I stood once more in the autumn light. I tilted my head back, gasping for air, feeling the sun on my face. I hadn't realized it, but I had been holding my breath on the way up. There was nothing to do but return to the SUV, drive to a spot with signal and call for help. As we walked away, I turned to look back and noticed again the two bizarre trees. The Watcher and the Centipede. Something whispered. I remember only flashes of that ride. My mind was still swarming with the images of what I had seen. We bounced back down the muddy dirt road, all of us checking our phones, waiting for bars. Toby was the first to get a signal. Finally, he said, manipulating his home screen. I'm not sure how I knew, but I had a gut feeling and spoke up as he was about to call for help. Try calling Danny before you call rescue. Toby shot me an odd look, but he obliged, putting the phone on speaker so we all could hear it. To our surprise, Danny answered. What the fuck kind of bullshit was that? What'd you guys do, slip me some shit? What are you talking- I fucking hurt my ankle and I just woke up here. Could've at least brought me to the hospital, dumped me on the doorstep, really? It's the fucking 20 years of friendship? Danny, we didn't do anything to you. Where are you? There was a rustle in the background, and then Danny's wife got on the phone. We'd all seen her get belligerent when she hit the coffee brandy too hard. This time, she was really in a rage. She spent the next several minutes cursing us out at the top of her lungs and demanding to know what happened. When all we had an answer to her questions were more questions, she hung up on us. We sat in stunned silence, looking at each other and breathing expletives. How the fuck could he be at his house? Jason muttered. How was that even possible? None of us had any answers. By the time we had all got back to our respective homes, Danny had blocked us off from his social media sites and refused to answer our calls. That night, the first god visited me. That dream was blood and fire, and stone. The god was a thing of shadow and light, beautiful and terrible. And he spoke dark truths in a language that I had never known, but somehow understood perfectly. He spoke of pain and death and the gifts of agony. His voice shivered with powers that coursed through the universe and perhaps through our veins. Truth, drenched in blood, Burning words of apocalypse, the turning of ages, the death of a mammoth, and the return of the dragon. Wisdom. He whispered. Dark-eyed and pale, truth. The wheel is turning again. again. This age is ending. The, the gate, gate will open soon. I wondered what truths the dead in that accursed chamber had found. Everyone has a dorky friend or two. You know the type, the bookworm gamer nerd who turns out to be the most level-headed person you know. The socially awkward brainiac who is actually really cool. The quiet savant, the person you go to when you want advice. Ken was that guy in our crowd. He moved to Boston after college to teach history, but we all stayed in touch. After spending countless hours staring at the photos I'd taken in the chamber, I decided to call in the brain squad and rang him up. I didn't tell him about Danny. I just said we found a weird chamber at the bottom of a hole and emailed him the entire gallery of photos. It took him a few days to get back to me. I was just sitting down to eat lunch, a tomato sandwich, iced tea, and a whoopie pie, when he called. Where is this place? He asked by way of greeting when I answered. Alagash, I said, deliberately vague. Did you figure anything out? Yeah. Some of the inscriptions are Celtic, some are Egyptian, some are Roman, some are Viking, some are Aztec. I-, I don't even know what the others are. I took a bite of the sandwich and sighed at the cardboard taste of my latest crop. That doesn't make any sense. I wasn't a history buff by any means, but I knew that Egyptian and Aztec artifacts had no business being in the backwoods of Maine. None whatsoever, he agreed. It's highly unlikely that Celts, Vikings, Aztecs, and Romans all came to this spot. What makes more sense is that one person or group of people made this place in homage to all these things. The names on the bottoms of the statues are in Old French. So is the inscription on the altar. I pulled up the photo gallery on my laptop and looked again. Apparently, the camera on my phone had noticed more than I had. The inscription was clear, and I knew enough French to make it out. The Chambre d'Agonie. Agony Chamber. The inscriptions on the statue bases are legible, Ken continued. Some of them, anyway. These are all statues of gods. Kivatar, the Alja, Odine. I tried the sandwich again, then tossed it in the trash. Whose gods were they? The Alja and Odine were Greek. Kivutar was Finnish. Chantico was Aztec. There's one common threat, though. Ken hesitated. They're all gods of pain. I felt the blood drain from my face and fought to keep my voice calm. What about the others? I'm still digging, but they don't match anything I've ever seen. My guess is that some old, rich, eclectic settler brought the statues over from the Old World. The chamber itself... He probably hired laborers for that. Is this thing near a town? Kinda, if you can call it that. The place wasn't too far from one of the hundreds of tiny, unremarkable backwood towns that peppered Maine. New England was dotted with such places. Tiny towns with long histories and lots of old houses. Many of these old towns had been around since before the Civil War. Does this have anything to do with Danny? Ken asked. He's been ranting on Facebook about alien abductions and conspiracy theories. Says he's having nightmares. Something about a centipede? I I gotta go. The next dream was of a great upheaval. The ground swelled and rose as though moved by a giant wave. The sky bled fire. The centipede was the size of a whale, and it reared into the air, guarding the old king. Shadowy figures stood in a ring around them. Behind them, some vast, prehistoric animal tried to flee, only to be blasted into ash. The second god turned to me, his burning eyes fixated upon me. This is the path to obliteration. This is the road of truth. The secrets of the universe are waiting in the cells of human flesh. As he spoke... The mountains behind him collapsed, and trees snapped like twigs under a charnel wind. And then everything went up in flames. The dream melted away, white-hot. It didn't take long to put the pieces together. To get curious. To fall into madness. They came to me, in dream after dream, whispering secrets of the abyss. They whispered dreams of hell worlds. I searched the internet, visited the town's nearest library, scoured occult manuals looking for answers. I only found more questions, but in time, I answered the call. I found myself staring at the Watcher and the Centipede again a few weeks later. When I was no longer able to resist the growing urge to return to that blighted wood. The centipede was a black silhouette against a gray November sky, its branches still looking remarkably insect-like. Behind him, the Watcher stood silent guard, his face a faint but menacing outline in ancient bark. An inhuman voice whispered through my thoughts, The Watcher and the Centipede stood through the churning of the earth and the falling of the first age. This is
3: the place where worlds collide. This is the door.
0: I gathered some liquid courage, whiskey, and managed to force myself to go back down into that cursed pit. Alone. (coughs) Afraid of getting trapped, I brought two ladders and three ropes with me. I started small, just to test to see if it worked. I took the hammer out of the tool belt I was wearing and gingerly placed my hand upon the altar. I remember drawing a deep breath of musty, damp air and hesitating, delaying. Was there a ritual? Some chant I was supposed to utter? I had no idea. Up until that point, I was a normal guy. I had never delved into the dark arts. But I did enjoy gambling. Gods of the Abyss, I muttered. I give you my pain. And then I brought the hammer down hard on my thumb. My scream echoed eerily, perfectly, off the chamber's walls. For the next few moments, the world was obscured by black and red pain spots. I felt something change in the atmosphere. The air began to shiver with whispers. The statues stood unmoving, but I felt a presence there. I turned and looked behind me. Had one of the statues moved? I couldn't be sure. A livid silence filled the air. I sensed there was time for my request. I asked for something little. My daughter's cat had been missing for a few days. Bring Fomper home. I waited a few more minutes. Nothing happened, so I climbed back up. The woods were silent around me, too silent. I had the feeling that I was being watched, but nothing happened. At one point, there was a sharp crack behind me, but when I turned, there was nobody there. Despite my creeping terror of the place, I hid the rope ladders nearby. When I got home, I found Fomper's body in the driveway. I guess the old gods were not generous in their interpretation of human wishes. To this day, I cannot explain what the chamber is or how it works. I was pretty scared after that and vowed never to return, but day after day, the burning curiosity grew until, in time, I found I had to go back once more. The chamber wasn't empty this time. I smelled the corpse before I got to the bottom. The man, whoever he was, had been killed slowly, horribly. The energy in the chamber had grown stronger, more malevolent. Which one of my friends had done it? I turned it over and over in my head. The next months proved interesting. Two locals went missing in our area. Another four disappeared in Portland, three in Bangor. When I went back to the agony chamber, there were many more bodies than those poor souls could account for. I waited to see who won the lotto, got a new job, scored a hot new girlfriend. The results, however, were far less obvious. Tim got a new truck, Jason got a job promotion, and Toby's wife finally got pregnant. No one hit the megabucks or inherited a vast fortune. Pain, the god said in my dream. Give us pain. I should have gone to the authorities. But we don't always take the high road. That's why murders happen and rape and child abuse and all the other terrible hatreds mankind wreaks upon the world. I told myself to stay away. The dreams continued. I found myself plagued by a growing urge to return. Though I fought it off for months, when the snow was gone and the moon was full, I found myself drawn back one more time to that cursed pit. Once I'd climbed back down into the shadows, I found myself yet again in the company of the dead. There were clues this time. The killer had taken few precautions and hadn't bothered covering his tracks. I held my nose and pulled a wallet out of a dead man's jeans. The address left little doubt as to who had been there before me. One of the corpses had a Red Sox cap, and another wore a Cheers sweatshirt. That little bastard, I muttered. That night, I drove to Boston. I rarely used my concealed carry permit, but I went armed out of precaution. I wasn't sure what to expect. I'd never confronted a murderer before. opened the door and stood there in his pajama bottoms and a white tank top, his pale, pudgy face set off by the way the flickering blue light from his television reflected on his glasses. He didn't seem particularly surprised to find me on his doorstep. He stepped aside and waved me in, then shut the door behind me, silent. How did you find the place? Ken apparently saw no point in fudging. He didn't try to deny anything or evade the question. He'd always been honest, to a fault. I went to visit Toby and brought him a bottle of whiskey. He told me everything. Then I brought Danny vodka. He told me everything, too. What did you ask for? The expression on his face didn't change. Happiness, he said. I frowned. I don't get it. Come on, he said. I'll show you. He had kept trophies, like all good serial killers. Jewelry, in his case. He pointed at the rings and necklaces and watches one by one, ticking them off as though he were reading tarot cards. The rapist, the hangman, the judge, the brute, the whore, the murderer. And the worst of them all? The aspiring politician. I remember hearing a ringing in my ears. They speak to me, you know, he said. They need one for each full moon. That's where they're strongest, collectively. They told me things. Things that would make your blood run cold. Things that would set the world afire. But what did you ask for? Danny only asked to go home. For myself, nothing. I funded three schools in third world countries, helped a blind child see, brought a soldier home safe to his family. It's a great feeling to know you're doing something good in the world. I blinked. Is that what you've become? Justice? He smiled. "I, I always wanted to be a superhero. Memory offered a collection of childhood Halloweens, juxtaposed atop one another. He had always dressed as a comic book hero every year. The next moment is an out-of-focus snapshot in my memory. He reached for something. I panicked, thinking it was a gun, and so I pulled out my own weapon and shot him. He slumped against the wall, then slid down it, leaving a smear of blood on the white wall. (laughs) He looked up at me. Wide-eyed, his expression strangely childlike. His hand flopped onto his leg like a fish, and he dropped the object he was holding. It was a cell phone. Oops. I told him I was sorry, that it was an accident, that I would take him to the hospital. I repeated those words over and over again, though I'm not sure if it was him or myself that I was trying to reassure. I helped him into the car, laid him down carefully in the back seat, then ran back inside and grabbed some blankets from his bed to keep him comfortable. I fully intended to drive to Mass General, but the gods whispered into my soul and took control. At least that's what I tell myself. But to be honest, I wasn't that nice. I wasn't that good. And it seemed a shame to waste such agony. Just across the main border, I pulled off the interstate and found a dark parking lot which offered the brief privacy I needed. I tied him up with a bungee cord I kept in the trunk, wrapped him in the bloody blankets, and stuffed him into the trunk. He woke up briefly, but he was too weak to struggle much. I don't remember much about the drive back to the Allagash. Just the moon guiding me like a beacon. I vaguely recall pulling Ken out of the trunk, hoisting him over my shoulders, and making the short walk through the night-dark wood. The watcher and the centipede were waiting, cloaked in moonlight. Rather than try to figure out how to let Ken down gently, I just dropped him into the hole. When he hit bottom, I heard a thud, a harsh cry, and a crack which I'm fairly sure was the sound of bone breaking. A bit more pain couldn't hurt. Once I climbed down myself, I hesitated. Part of me screamed that this was madness. Ken was my friend, after all. But they stood before me. And I knew, when I looked at their terrible beauty, that I had gone too far to turn back. What to ask for? I turned the options over in my mind. World peace? Money? A classic car? What is worth the loss of a friend? What exactly should one request in exchange for the blackening of a soul? Ken's last scream made the gods very happy. That shriek? lingers in my thoughts, echoing through every moment of my life. When I am awake, trying to go through the paces of being a decent human being, if there is such a thing, it waits silently in the darkest corner of my mind. In my dreams, it goes on forever. You're no doubt wondering what I wish for. I wished with all my being that we had never found that place. I wished myself back to that sunny October day, hoping that I could turn back time. But they could not give me that. Nothing changed. In the end, Ken died in vain. In the daylight hours, I felt the impact of what I had done. The weight of it. The horror of it eats at me constantly. I battled with the thought of turning myself in and decided that it wouldn't bring Ken back. I thought maybe the best thing to do was to continue Ken's work. It isn't hard to find child molesters these days or to locate good folk that need a little luck. The last time I went back, I found three fresh bodies. I'm not sure who is responsible, who figured it out, in a way, doesn't matter. Maybe we all had the dreams, maybe we're all killers now, servants to the silent gods that wait in the darkness. Maybe there are agony chambers peppered throughout the world, not just in the dark main woods. Maybe that's where the vanished ones are, in piles of bones far below the reach of the sun. Danny still rants about alien abductions. I haven't spoken to him since that day, but his rapid descent into madness? Oh, it's a hot topic in a small town like ours. At first, killing Ken changed both everything and nothing. Still went to work every day, came home to my wife snagging and my kids acting out. My dog was, and still is, as dumb as a box of rocks. I never thought of myself as innocent. I realize now that I was, but I left that there to rot with the corpses in that cursed chamber. Perhaps you never know what innocence is until you've lost it.
1: And that was the Agony Chamber. Yeah, we're not quite done with the main woods. In case we haven't scared you enough yet, it turns out there are more horrors in the wilderness. And we'll learn that in our next installment of Undertow.
3: Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story Dark Dice
1: The Agony Chamber was written by Morgan Sylvia, performed by Nathan Dana Aldrich, sound designed and edited by Fred Greenhalgh. Background voices, Fred Greenhalgh. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Additional sound and music by Mind's Eye Productions. The Agony Chamber was produced by Dagaz Media. Undertow is a production of Realm, hosted by Fred Greenhalgh, produced by Mary Azadolahi and Haley Wagreich. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Latshaw. Executive produced by Fred Greenholz, Molly Barton, and Marcy Wiseman. Theme, Dark Rumbling, by Hubert Campbell. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Undertow by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.